The broadcast is now starting. All attendees are in listen-only mode. Well, hi, and uh, welcome to uh, our 12th uh, Smart Building webinar. Uh, this is the last one we're doing this year. And um, it's on the, the cloud and how that relates to access control. Uh, and I'm very pleased uh, to say that we have um, CEO of Brevo, Steve Van Til, on the line. Hi, Steve. Good morning. Or afternoon, as the case may be. Yeah, right. And um, yeah, so we, we've got an hour on, on on the on the webinar now, and obviously there's there's plenty to talk about. Uh, just a small bit of um, housekeeping before we start. If anybody uh, has questions, then really happy to take them. Uh, please type them in, and I'll I'll get them here on my screen. Um, and uh, yeah, we can uh, hopefully look forward to a good discussion. So a little bit about uh, about Steve. You started uh, Brevo in 1999, right? Yes. And originally it was the it was slightly different concept about like how you managed access, and it was it was access to um, a storage box. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, interestingly, it's an idea whose uh, time has come back around for the second time. There've been a number of companies in the last couple of years pursuing that same uh, objective. Right. Yeah. And then, so that, I mean, you, you're coming from more, uh, a software background and you saw the, the, the opportunity in the access control space to promote um, cloud and, and software as a service. Yes. Um, and then um, you've been acquired this year. Yeah, we were acquired uh, earlier this year. The transaction closed in May. Um, we'd been part of um, a holding company for a number of years, and um, then uh, we were acquired by Dean Draco, who people know best as the founder of Barracuda Networks, which is a uh, large uh, information security, anti-spam, antivirus play. What most people don't know, and what I didn't know about uh, Barracuda coming in, is that they're actually a, a web subscription or recurring monthly revenue um, financial model, and that the appliance that we all see pictures of is really just uh, the component that allows the rest of that to happen. So. Uh, uh, when Dean took a look at the security industry, of course, he first started um, Eagle Eye three years ago mm -hmm. as a way to transform video. When Brevo became available, he saw this as fitting that exact same pattern. Great. So, so how is the process going? How are you fitting into that organization? Uh, it's going very well. I think the first thing people see is the product complementarity. So Brevo's always done uh, hosted access control. That's what we're best known for. Yeah. Uh, we, we've done some. Uh, hosted video over the years, but Eagle Eye is branded as a uh, video cloud solution. Uh, so when people saw the access leader come together with a uh, very forward uh, cloud video provider, the two brands working together and the product lines working together made total sense. Um, the people, the, the part that people don't see as well is that we have a lot of complementarity in our channel relationships with um, both uh, the major providers here in the US as well as uh, many of the mid-sized and smaller providers here in the US. So that was also very complementary from a sales perspective. Okay, great stuff. So I'm gonna uh, pass over to yourself now. Okay. And um, yeah, I know you've got some slides that you, uh, that you wanna show us. Okay, so uh, I may 
take just a second to have this happen. Um, while we're doing that, I've got to close out a few windows here. This is going to be the full screen. And that said, I'm not quite sure. I've got a dual head monitor. I'm not quite sure which one, but we'll we'll get it straight. Yep. So what are we seeing here? Yeah, I've got the cloud drives, major identity, and access trends. Okay, good. And it's the uh, the um, audience view, not the presenter view. I always have to ask. I believe that is the the view for everybody. Good. So um, we'll just jump right in here. Um, uh, the topic of the seminar is uh, clearly um, talking about how the cloud has been um, influential with respect to both identity management and access control, and and the intersection between those two. And um, from my point of view, the, the cloud may have started out as a phenomenon unto itself, but it's really given rise to the other things you see in this image um, that have since become uh, pretty inextricably linked, both in terms of uh, being enabled by the cloud and then also adding value to what the cloud can do. Um, inside the security domain, um, there's a thread uh, connecting all of these things together. Mobile, of course, um, first came into prominence with people uh, getting mobile apps to help manage their security systems. So the first um, users there were system administrators who needed to look at event histories or perhaps look at some video on their phone. These were all things that contributed to uh, what I would call situational awareness, which is a central part of um, performing security. More recently, uh, the big news here, and we can go into depth, is mobile credentials. And I think um, all things considered, mobile credentials and having an application in the hands of the people using our facilities is going to end up being a much bigger and much more influential change in the industry. So uh, everything we've seen so far is just the prelude, the mobile credentials and putting applications in the hands of our building occupants is really going to be uh, a huge difference. Um, Internet of Things, um, lots of hype out there about IoT right now. Um, I do think it's very relevant to security for a couple of reasons. Um, first and foremost, it is driving uh, tons of new data and managing security, providing security, having insights is really uh, all about having data and having good analytics on top of it. Um, the other aspect of IoT that connects back into really the core theme for today is that um, IoT standards and uh, the need for uh, identity and authentication in that domain is going to bleed over into the way we do identity and authentication inside of the building automation and access control industry. And because IoT is going to be uh, a much larger uh, consumer phenomenon than, than the security industry itself, the dominant pressure and the dominant flow of uh, influence is going to be from there into our domain rather than vice versa. Social is right. when you might so, so we become so the, the way that the security industry fits in is we're basically a, a, a part of that jigsaw. Yes. And and it's if, part of the jigsaw. yeah. 
I just I know you we, we, you touched on mobile earlier and this credentials now, and I and I guess a big part of that is the phone or the smartphone. And we're seeing a lot of um, manufacturers uh, coming to market now with different system with different um, ways of using that credential. Uh, how um, how. And it might not be the phone in the future. It might well be some something else. But how how are you seeing that evolve at the moment? So I, I'm going to pop forward um, just to provide a, a reference here for everyone. Um, there's there's really um, <clears throat> three uh, primary dimensions uh, to mobile credentials. Um, there's the active access control, obviously. There's how it authenticates, and then uh, there's something that I call presence, which is that. All of us carrying a phone around um, allows for sensors in buildings to see who's there and to see where we are. So these are all three um, uh, major influences. The underlying technologies are, are probably familiar to everyone. Uh, early systems were using NFC, and of course that's what's um, driving things like Apple Pay and, and Google Pay at the uh, checkout lane. Um, Bluetooth uh, for most of security applications has really become, uh, I think, the favorite way to move forward. Um, it's uh, more universally available. It's uh, not just on phones, it's also on wearables and smaller devices like um, watches and so forth. And then um, we're also seeing some using Wi-Fi, uh, predominantly in the wireless lock area. And then uh, something we're rather fond of at Brevo is having uh, phone-based applications or mobile applications to, authenticating to a cloud API, and then from there having uh, various uh, tools at their disposal to uh, interact with the security systems. And if we take a quick I, look... I remember talking to you, uh, would have been a few years ago now, and you showed me the API that you guys had developed, which was um, quite unique at that time for access control. Yes. Um, it is, um, uh, I would say, uh, unique, uh, with, with the exception possibly of um, our sister company, Eagle Eye. Uh, as I mentioned before, we're both very API-driven companies. Um, and um, I was just having a conversation earlier today with somebody around the openness of APIs. And um, if you can't go to a company and, and read the documentation and access the API directly, then, then it's probably not open. So Right, because uh, there's a, quite a difference in some respects between a, an SDK and, a, and an API. And open means is a word that seems to mean different things to different people. It does, and uh, you're, you're very often going to find so-called open systems that uh, come with various business requirements attached to them, like ponying up a certain amount of money or signing certain kinds of agreements. And, and if you look really more broadly at um, what I'll call the, the real standards, things like uh, the IETF, which did all of the RFCs for the Internet, those are just out there. They're in the public domain. Anybody can read them, and so that's kind of the... Uh, the test case for any of the other uh, claims in that area. Great. So um, we're looking here at some key characteristics of the. Is this of the API? This is um, really um, going on with the mobile. So okay. um, uh, a number of people have asked me, um, you know, what's the difference between a mobile credential and a card credential, and from Many of the user characteristics or the use cases, um, people have tried to imi imitate the um, classic 
familiar usage patterns for cards, but place it on a mobile platform. So um, a couple of things you're going to find there is that um, you're going to find adding and deleting mobile credentials probably similar to adding and deleting cards in a system. They're all managed in the cloud, of course. That kind of uh, is the price of entry with anything that's uh, talking to your mobile. Um, they may or may not require new on-premise equipment. So uh, if you don't have um, Bluetooth readers, but the solution you're choosing requires that, you're going to have a truck roll. Um, we made a point with our introduction of uh, using the cloud API because all of our existing users going back 14 years can take advantage of this solution without changing anything on premise and we thought that that was important. Um, they're all going to be using public key infrastructure and or single sign-on techniques for authentication so uh, the real key here is that um, at least the better solutions aren't reinventing the wheel with respect to uh, secure authentication they're reusing techniques that have already been perfected elsewhere. Uh, of course, these are lower cost than cards, and what uh, kind of going back to talking about the channel, uh, they're available as a service, which means that uh, people who are interested in building out RMR businesses will will find these a very welcome addition to their product portfolio. Right. Yeah. When you when you say lower cost than cards, I mean the phone is is, is obviously not lower cost. What what are you referring to there? The uh, I would say the uh, <clears throat> the incremental cost is lower, uh, okay. and and that's a fair statement about the phone. I think um, all of us, when when we look at these, we're we're assuming that somebody else has already borne uh, the cost of the phone, um, particularly in a bring your own device world that we live in now. Uh, my phone, for example, is a personal phone that I bring to work and use for many uh, work-related functions, and the company didn't have to pay anything for that. So. Incremental cost is lower than cards, and that shows up in a number of different ways. Um, if you take a look at uh, provisioning, for example, um, getting a new card, adding it to a database, and then physically getting it to a user. Um, if they're in your building, that's one thing. If they're around the world, that's another thing. Um, cards get lost, so there are replacement costs there. Um, if somebody loses a mobile phone, credentials can be restored uh, at virtually zero cost. Um, so if you really look at the full life cycle costs of working with cards, uh, they're higher than um, digital credentials, and that's really just continuing the long, long story of digital uh, objects being uh, much less expensive ultimately than physical objects where they can be substituted. Yeah, yeah very interesting. Um, um, one of the last slides you showed that I thought it was interesting where you mentioned the word presence. Because yeah, that, I think, is, is almost a key thing, right, with the phone that once you're in the building, once you've allowed someone entry, the access part of the equation, then you, you, there's, there's even more you can do because you're, you have this bit of processing power in your pocket, right, the, the, the phone. Yes, and and it's always sending out radio, radio signals, whether you're looking at uh, Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. Um, the, the two maps that you see up here are just examples of <clears throat> the kind of um, technology that's available right now for seeing who's inside your building and where they are. Uh, the map on the left is um, a heat map uh, that's showing uh, density or concentration or dwell time. The map on the right is just the uh, individuals themselves. Um, 
this is intensely interesting. We've shown this at a couple of trade shows. This is uh, perhaps one of the uh, most popular things for people to come and look at and talk about when we do that. And it shows the interest level in, uh, again, a very uh, effective form of situational awareness where you can see everybody who's in your building. Depending on um, how much history you have on them, you may know who the individual is. You may just know that it's a previously unidentified person, but there's certainly a wealth of data that can be extracted here, much like uh, the kind of analytics that are running on websites now. Um, who came? How many were unique? Have they been here before? How long did they stay? Where did they go once they were inside? When did they leave? Where else have they been? So all the things that we know from web analytics are now being um, made possible in what I'll call people analytics inside of buildings. Right. And I, I mean, it, for me, it's great because I look at this and I think, well, you know, we cover a lot of other technology that goes into buildings. So I look at this and I think, well, okay, that's interesting for, of course, building management system. Absolutely. Where, you know, and controlling heat and ventilation, air conditioning. Where are, where are people spending the most time? Where do we? Where can we save money on heating and cooling? Uh, but I guess also things like room booking and managing resources better. Absolutely. We've seen. Um, we do a lot of work with API partners, and uh, room booking is um, uh, uh, one of the types of integrations that we've done. Uh, hoteling. Um, we've also seen now that um, more commercial spaces are being driven by shared workspace um, uh, arrangements, the need for uh, booking not just conference rooms and things like that, but perhaps individual offices and then controlling phone resources, internet access resources, all those kinds of things, um, it makes this kind of um, awareness of who's there and who's checked in uh, even more important for that um, shared space business model. Right. And the cloud is so important to this. Why? Because of it allows the data to be shared quickly? Yeah. Yeah, it's the ultimate sharing platform, of course. And it, it's really uh, sort of unthinkable to be doing this on numerous individual servers with uh, you know each one with its own URL. And uh, in practical terms, um, most corporations don't like the fact that on-premise servers unless they're web companies, but even those are using uh, AWS and Azure and things like that. But companies don't like having an on-premise server that uh, then has to be open to the internet. Um, and so being able to use the cloud is not only much simpler to implement, but um, has fewer, uh, I would say, side effects for the rest of the IT environment. Yeah. And, and, and integration was something that I was definitely wanted to, to, to make sure that we discussed. Um, on, I think on a couple of levels. One is I'm interested in your opinion about where we are now, right now with this, with and obviously with access, um, not just with video, but with other building automation systems. Um, what can we? Uh, what What is your view on that at the moment? Um, for uh, my experience with access control, has been that. Um, access control is a resource system or a data provider for building automation systems. Um, there's, there's seldom for the access system itself um, any, anything in the building automation domain that it needs to do its business. Um, they of course can be commands that are sent from elsewhere 
into the system, but most of the data flow is from the access control system to the building automation system, and it's, it's really about uh, a more primitive version of presence than what you're seeing here, but um, primarily about you know who's in the building and, and uh, what time did they come, when did they leave, things like that. All right. And are you seeing on projects that you're working on or that you that you hear about? Are you um, are you seeing more of this? Are you seeing more of what we're looking at here, or or more um, integration with video? Let's say using a, a VM VMS software. Where, where do you think the industry is at the moment with this? There are a couple of different ways to look at that. Um, uh, I would say video is the predominant requirement. Um, everybody expects a video integration between their access control system and uh, their video management system and they're, they're both more powerful uh, with that integration for obvious reasons of uh, search and correlation and things like that. Um, the integration with building automation systems is really confined to what I would call a sort of top tier uh, of buildings and you know I go back to statistics um, we spend a lot of time looking at um, the market here in the US and I know those statistics better than anything else mm -hmm. but um, fully 80 percent of the business addresses in the United States belong to small and medium-sized businesses which is 500 employees or fewer most of those businesses have very little, if any, interaction with the building automation system that, um, that's in the uh, facility they're in because they're not in control of it. So what that says is 80% of the prospective buyers are going to be much more interested in things like mobile, integration with video, integration with alarm, very practical things like that. The um, integration with building automation is really the province of property managers, class A real estate, um, uh, universities, hospitals, things like that. Not that that's not an important market, but it's, um, for example, here, 20% uh, uh, of, of the potential business addresses. So um, they spend more money per address than, than the smaller guys, but uh, that's kind of the, the market reality that uh, a lot of us have to pay attention to. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. There was um, I've got a question coming. Um, I guess it's it's really about uh, the routes to market. And traditionally, of course, I mean, what we've seen over the last fifteen years when you've been in the business is um, that security industry tends to be quite slow moving, and there's quite a defined, or was a certainly a well defined route to market through distributor systems integrator installer business. Has that slowed down the adoption of cloud-based systems, and and how have you and how have you seen that change over the last few years? So, absolutely. Um, little known fact: uh, when Brevo launched in two thousand and one, two thousand and two, we didn't know that much about the channel. All of us came from the software industry, not the security industry. And what we were seeing, this was you know back at the time of the dot-com boom. Right. Yeah. We were seeing a lot of B2C businesses, and so we originally set ourselves up as a B2C business, and we thought we would, you know, subcontract to dealers and installers. Well, we pretty quickly got an education on that. that that's not the way uh, the security channel looks at the world, and and you very quickly alienate yourself with that business model. So we switched around. Um, we've done everything through the channel since then. 
it's worked well, but it has been slow. Uh, channel adoption is very slow uh, for new technologies in the security industry. If we look at um, comparative adoption rates in security versus adoption rates in the enterprise, uh, there's some uh, interesting statistics I'll kind of page over there uh, for the moment that are showing roughly 84% um, of new software in the enterprise is software as a service. Uh, the best information I've been able to get on a similar number for the security industry is perhaps 5% inside of the access control world. And again, that's net wow. new. It's not all of the historical um, systems that are in place, but it's things that are being installed. All of that being said, um, the attitude has changed dramatically over the last three or four years, and I think what we're seeing now is the beginning of catching up to the uh, rest of the IT industry, and I represent that concept here, that uh, today we're at 10% uh, or even 5% compared to enterprise adoption in the 50-plus range. In five years, I think, um, because security always catches up with the rest of the world, it, it just sort of has to, because um, the old models go away, that we're heading for that over the course of the next five years. And whether it's 45% or you know 58%, of course, I don't know, but the, the directional trend is very clear at this point. Mm, yeah, I definitely agree. But that's that's really interesting that it's still so low today. So mm -hmm. much room for that, um, for it to grow. Uh, yes. Yeah, right. Room. I mean, how, um, like in terms of the cloud, are we talking five plus years that you think it's going to uh, reach 50% adoption rate? Is that on new systems or, or with total market? Um, depends a little bit. Here at this point, um, I make a split between, uh, let's say, video systems uh, versus access control. Uh, the video replacement life cycle is is much shorter. You know, people tell me uh, three to five years. Access control, uh, as long as it's not broken, people don't replace it. So it's eight years, ten years, twelve years that that control panel continues working, and people don't think about changing. So the adoption rate. In those two is fairly different just because of uh, what I'd call external drivers having to do with uh, equipment obsolescence, the availability of you know higher pixel cameras, things like that. There is also uh, a big difference whether you're looking at residential security or commercial security. And in residential security, people are using the cloud, you know, whether they know it or not, and they don't seem to care. Um, all of the home automation solutions are cloud-driven, so uh, that's that's uh, been tremendous there. For whatever reason, um, the mentality inside the commercial side is much more conservative than that perhaps because there's been a history of server-based solutions there where there's really never been a history of server-based solutions on the uh, on the residential side. Yeah, I, I wonder how much um, the legislation, but also like companies have, you know, regulatory requirements, how much that plays a part in it. I know that I've spoken to a few end users, sort of larger companies who have their own real estate, and they are... Um, uh, very driven by, uh, you know, accountability, being able to produce reports to say, you know, where people were at a specific time and the, the, that they see as quite sensitive data. I wonder if that's holding holding them back from, uh, 
from really embracing the cloud fully. We do see that, but um, you know, there, there's certain certainly auditability requirements on the financial side, and uh, the financial applications seem to be doing pretty well. I think that turns to a bit of a discussion of um, cybersecurity and whether the provider themselves have um, done the, done the right kind of audits and, and have that kind of um, uh, work in place. Um, you know, ISO 27001 is an international standard that most of our customers are looking for right now. And what we've found is that uh, under that circumstance, if you've got that level of um, audit in place and, and you've got an outside auditor that can attest to that, then uh, it passes muster with uh, some fairly difficult customers, even including healthcare, which um, pays more attention to that sort of thing than anyone else. So the operating model there seems to be that uh, while these organizations have these um, uh, logging and auditing requirements, if you've got a auditing um, statement in place, they can essentially tick that box by virtue of the auditing that you've done as the cloud provider. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think it's it's all there. It's just sometimes it's it's people's perception, absolutely, um, which isn't always uh, rational. <laughs> I there's another question here, and I just wanted to say, everybody listening, um, please feel free to type in some questions for for Steve or myself. Uh, it's asking about. Um, your view on HID's acquisition of Quantum Secure um, and how that relates to or secure uh, secure identity solutions um, with a supplier of software solutions for identities. Do you think that's an interesting interesting one? I, I think it's interesting, but I think it's um, completely in line with um, uh, the acquisition history that uh, HID has been executing. Um, they've picked up a company or two per year. I haven't exactly kept track because there's been so many. Um, the, the couple of interesting things about uh, Quantum Secure in particular is that um, they really have a couple of different faces. Uh, the one that we see in the physical security uh, industry is that they provide um, identity federation across multiple access control systems and so that's the part you see if you're in access control or if you're in building security and that's a very important piece. Um, there is a secure identity side that um, when I listen to their presentations and, and see them in a different context is very important in healthcare and, and finance so it's almost as if there's two different dimensions to the business. Um, one thing that seems to be happening on the uh, commercial access side and I see this in the emergence of standards like ONVIF-A and PSIA, uh, is that uh, the federation uh, requirement is, over time, going to be addressed by standards built into the access systems as opposed to yet another software system that needs to perform that function for them. And so in that regard, um, PSIA has been particularly active lately. They've got a new spec out for sharing information directly from one access control system to another so that effectively federation is built in instead of another layer on top. Great. That's really about time that that happened, I guess, because it's going to make yeah. things so much easier. How long before you, we see more adoption of, of that? Where are they with that at the moment? 
I think that one's going to be slow. Uh, it's going to be driven by enterprise customers, um, people who have uh, you know three, ten, a hundred buildings that um, are perhaps under different systems. This this kind of goes to the question of um, rip and replace. Also, if these systems can have updated software and do federation among themselves, then you can have a unified enterprise without having a uniform hardware layer or a uniform product layer underneath. And that's an important consideration, certainly in the uh, top 20% of the market where you know, M&A is fairly often moving, is fairly often um, relationships across uh, international borders is fairly common. So again, in that higher end market, um, these things are important. And I think, um, again, it's, it's the typical security adoption curve, unfortunately, which is slow, meaning five or 10 years. Uh, I would wager that most people aren't even aware of these specs at this point. Yeah. Do you think, I know you talked a bit earlier about um, the difference there between sort of home security and commercial security systems, where your home's been, you know, basically they've all adopted the cloud approach. Does that, do you think that drives at all, like what happens in commercial, like the technology yeah, they're using? It does. Um, the, um, the, if you look at uh, who's active in residential right now, and you can look at this at two different tiers. So if we look at sort of the software provider tier, uh, there have been two companies that have been very, dominant behind the scenes in the residential space. One is Alarm.com, uh, another one is iControl, and they each sell through major brand names, both security providers and um, cable companies. And so if you look at what's going on there, both of those organizations started in residential, but they're both crossing over into the small and medium business area. So there's direct traceability there uh, from one to the other. Right, because because they OE like I control do OEM some of their yes. stuff, don't they? So like if if you I don't know have a broadband provider, you've got some security system with them. It's probably I control or or Alarm dot com anyway, right? Yeah, I just saw the stats. I don't have them memorized, but between those two, they they really had uh, dominant market share of uh, existing home automation uh, services. Right in the U.S. In the U.S. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Right. Yep. Um, and just go back to your um, your API as well. What do you what do you see? What what type of companies are using it at the moment, and what are they doing with it? Well, if I kind of pop up a picture of um, three of the the primary things it does, out of these three, um, identity synchronization, data um, coming back out, and then control going back in. Uh, we have, I don't know, 75 to 100 um, major partners um, that are using our APIs right now, and I would say 80% of the usage is identity synchronization uh, between uh, whatever system they have and uh, our access control. And those fall into two categories. Uh, so some of those uh, synchronization projects are between a corporation with their own HR system or their own uh, LDAP or Active Directory system and using this identity 
API in order to keep employee databases synchronized. Um, a similar application that we see with um, lots of other cloud companies who are serving their own members and need access control to be synchronized with account status or payment or other privileges. Um, we're seeing them implement this and in that case it's really a, a cloud to cloud integration between another cloud service who has a primary purpose and access control is you know just one thing that they need to achieve that and again it's it's synchronizing identities and I'll give you two examples um, to make this more clear one um, historically we've seen a lot in uh, the health club management space um, every health club every fitness center you've ever been to was managed by software in the cloud uh, nobody implemented on-premise so those just started in the cloud so when you join you're a member you get your access card you come in you check out at the front or in a 24-hour situation you're using um, actual door access and so that's been one of the classic ones we've done um, more recently uh, we've seen uh, the software companies who provide again cloud services to the real estate management or the property management industry and finally coming around to saying look we've got all these other um, amenities built into the software that are schedulable as uh, tenant benefits, as monthly payments, and we think access control and security are the next couple of features that we would like to have built into our platform as a competitive advantage. And so all that software now is becoming uh, increasingly interested in being integrated with the underlying security system. So in a sense that goes back to your question about um, building automation systems because there's a crossover there between these property management systems that have some building automation built in versus you know 100% uh, um, um, automation solutions that aren't as concerned with the uh, financial dimensions of uh, property management. Right, and I, guess, and I guess for the facilities or property management company, um, the benefit there is to increase rental yield or, or and, and satisfaction for for their um, customers. Exactly. Yeah, and and how are you seeing a big increase in that? Yeah, we are. Um, that that's become. Uh, uh, I guess uh, I'm not quite sure what's driven it because uh, it it would have made as much sense 10 years ago as it as it makes today. So uh, I'm guessing a little bit, but I'm, I'm thinking that it's an awareness uh, opportunity um, that they saw because uh, uh, you know one of the things, and this is kind of relevant to the rest of the discussion. Um, one of the things that we found in sort of the inbound uh, relationships we have with the public is that. More and more people have found us because they were searching specifically for a cloud-based security system or a cloud-based access control. It's now actually a search term that people go after, whereas 10 years ago, uh, they might have responded to the features, they might have responded to word of mouth, but they weren't specifically looking for cloud. So if you're looking at um, any of these enterprise uh, cloud solutions that are out there, uh, if they themselves are a cloud company, they almost universally prefer to do business with another cloud company. They won't even consider doing business with a traditional on-prem solution because they know that it's not consistent with the rest of their value proposition. So I think 
you know, just in terms of longer term business trends, as more companies have moved their business into the cloud, whatever that is, whether it's real estate or health clubs or, uh, you know, medical, they're now seeking cloud partners to get the ancillary things done along with that solution. Well, right. I mean, and if they've moved all of this stuff, then they don't want to be bothered with hosting it anymore, with hosting anything anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, makes perfect sense. But, um, yeah, just unfortunately, we seem to move slower than most people. <laughs> mm -hmm. But that's the way it is, I guess. One, one of the trends I wanted to ask you about was we've seen some of the more recently, last couple of years, some of the, the, the video company, video manufacturing companies like Axis, like Avigalon, start to move into um, uh, access control uh, products. So I think one, I was going to ask you, you know, what's your view on that and why do you think that's happening? Um, that would be my first question on that. So they are adding access control for the same reason that we've added video. Um, customers are demanding an integrated solution between the two. So uh, it makes perfect sense to see that showing up over there. Um, you know, a lot of the market for video um, starts with video-only requirements. We see a lot of those in RFPs and that sort of thing. But uh, uh, even buried in those requirements, there's, you know, must be able to integrate with XYZ access control, even if they're not going to do that on day one. So I think uh, all of the video players, including Access itself, you know, getting into the hardware side of this, yeah. saw the opportunity to have um, uh, some growth into an adjacent area that made a lot of sense for them. And you know, for our part, um, uh, as access control providers, we've seen that with video. Uh, it's always been a requirement uh, from, from the government to small business. And, you know, we were talking a little bit about Brevo's corporate history. This is, again, uh, something that uh, fits the same pattern of needing to have at least those two dimensions of security under the same roof or available inside the same product. Yeah. And I'm hoping it's, it's another thing that, that comes into the equation to, to, you know, make integration easier. Yeah, one of the things that um, uh, I like to say about um, these cloud-based integrations is once they're integrated in the cloud, they stay integrated in the cloud. Um, that's not the case when you have on-premise systems because you get uh, API version drift between the access half, for example, and the video half. Whereas when there's a cloud-to-cloud -cloud relationship among providers, uh, they have to make sure that that always remains uh, synchronized and that the versions are always consistent or else they instantly disable their entire uh, shared customer base. So high motivation and the fact that you just have to do it in one place makes it a much uh, more efficient task for everyone concerned and it removes that worry from the integrator and the end user. Um, they simply don't have to, to think about that. Yeah. One of the, the things I thought was interesting about the, the, the hardware they produced, the controller, was that it did come with a SDK and it was, it was open in the sense that you could put other software on that, um, which I guess, one, it was thought, well, sort of strange to me that that was a, a relatively new thing or that not many people are doing that. Uh, and also, um, 
to do you think that that is something that you can see happening more of? Yes and no. Um, kind of depends who might do it. Um, the the precedent that I see for this in security is that the camera manufacturers um, have had the ability to add, um, uh, say, analytics modules into the cameras for some period of time. So they had a, a mechanism for um, and an SDK for developing an application that can be loaded on the camera and work cooperatively with the existing software on there. That's been less common in access control um, because um, I think the the systems are are more self-contained in, in some sense. They they kind of you know they open the door, they keep a database, they do those things for you. The areas where um, I see some impetus for building out that capability in, in access control panels is, um, uh, for example, peer-to-peer -peer interactions with other things that are on-premise. On and so that may not be part of the native capability set that's in a controller. So um, there's a lot that can be done there. And as I think more of the IoT devices um, get into the act, there will be uh, more value uh, to peer-to-peer uh, -peer interactions on-premise. So that would uh, kind of push you in that direction. Um, there may be some identity solutions. Um, there are uh, lots of hardware platforms out there in access control that are not cloud-enabled, meaning uh, their protocols aren't suitable for getting through firewalls and that sort of thing. And they could benefit from modules that kind of uh, added that call home capability. So there, there certainly are use cases to drive that, but um, <clears throat> we've seen far less of that so far in Access than than we have in video. Mm. Yeah, and and the reason being that it just wasn't being demanded or not right. really appropriate. Okay. Yeah. Was there um, there are some more slides that you'd like to show us? Um, about some of uh, or the, you, some some other points that you wanted to bring up. Yeah, let's see. Um, in terms of things that um, we haven't talked about um, yet, there's there's I guess a couple of different directions we could either. Um, I think probably uh, more of the interest um, would be in the Internet of Things direction and mm -hmm. its bearing on, on access control and, and security generally? Yeah, definitely. So um, if we jump in here, uh, there's some interesting numbers. Um, the, the Internet of Things is usually posted as um, being a consumer phenomenon and we see the most about that in the, in the tech news, um, you know, certainly to the extent that there's advertising, but um, the projections uh, for the Internet of Things is that 77%, which is to say the majority, is, that math doesn't add up, um, <laughs> the, uh, the 77% is going to be in what um, I think GE coined the term Industrial Internet of Things. And you can see the breakout there between enterprise and government. Uh, so this says that of the trillions of devices that people are predicting over the next 10 years and the trillions of dollars that are being added to uh, the economy, a great deal of that comes in uh, the industrial internet of things, which is kind of a bad name. It really just means non-consumer uses. Mm -hmm. And to get a sense of what that means, uh, the numbers here are kind of hard to comprehend, but what's really clear is that the number of IoT devices uh, ends up being greater than the number of 
every other kind of electronics we've ever deployed, more than tablets, more than smartphones, more than personal computers. So the effect is, is sort of um, uh, undeniable. And um, the result is, is that this sector, IoT, it's going to drive more identity transactions than all physical access control systems combined. And you know, I pause there because um, the companies involved with this, starting with Google and Apple and, and uh, some of the other tech giants, are creating identity systems, authentication systems, authorization systems, standards protocols, what have you, to let phones and other wearable devices authenticate with these trillions of things that are going to be out there. So the collective influence of those standards is going to be far greater than standards we've known and created inside of security. And I think this is a, a huge thing for the industry to recognize because it's going to really shift how we go about doing things and, and how we build systems. Um, it also represents a competitive threat because it's going to be easier for people to um, jump in. Um, who besides a couple of the big players are making um, some of these standards? Here's a, a small collection of groups that are setting protocol standards and uh, making uh, open source repositories available for doing this. So the day that um, you know a startup is able to uh, communicate, let's say, with a door that's been built out to um, uh, the standard that uh, Google or, or uh, uh, Apple put together, that's the day it becomes much easier for companies to introduce new hardware, to create new apps that interact with um, standardized hardware and things like that. And I think it has the potential to change the competitive landscape quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, and we've written um, about this. We did a report on IoT and buildings. But, and that's an interesting slide, and that, the the one before quite profound about how you're saying about, you know, it's it, it's really going to affect the security business. But w but with this slide and looking at these different consortiums and who is making standards, like what, and and if let's say if you're a manufacturer or some you're someone who's designing developing a system, it's a bit over. It seems like it's so overwhelming at the moment. Where do you? Who do you go with? Where do you what what standard do you go with? It's a very tough decision. Uh, it really is, and it's it's you know classic um, uh, Betamax versus right. VHS question. You yeah. don't know right now which one's going to win, and it may not be you know the strongest technology. It could be based on marketing or, or other characteristics. So it, it is a very, very tough choice right now. Um, we struggle with this. Um, uh, I don't know that we mentioned it, but uh, one of the other hats that I wear is chairman of the Security Industry Association Standards Committee. And we see uh, this massive IoT influence coming down the road. And as a standards organization, we really need to think about how does that change the way we use the organization's energies? How does that change the advice that we give to our membership? Uh, is there a strategy to cooperate with some of these tech giants and get further ahead? Um, it's, it's a very challenging set of um, uh, considerations, especially when uh, inside the, the security industry there are already some huge investments in similar kinds of standards that are trying to solve similar kinds of problems. But if they end up being outnumbered, you know, 100 to 1 or 1,000 to 1 by devices that are using one of these, it's really hard to see how that um, remains uh, really the best engineering strategy over the long term. Mm -hmm. 
Have you seen any evidence of um, of clients actually yet specifying what standards they want to see on a project or or in the technology? Yeah. Um, so let's start with the most commonly specified. OnVIF for video is the most commonly specified uh, at this point. Um, we're beginning to see in the federal space uh, some requirements for uh, OSDP, for example, between the readers and the PAC system because it's really the only standard going that, um, that offers the capability set that they need. So it's not much of a competition, but it is becoming part of um, specifications. Um, I would expect, I haven't personally seen, but I would expect to see um, specifications either saying ONVIF A for access devices like the new access device or um, PSIA has what they call an area control API which actually at this point has more large uh, players involved in it than anything else and so I would expect to see that become a part of uh, specifications but I haven't actually seen that one yet. Yeah. Uh, just a quick one to everybody. Um, we've got just over five minutes left, so if uh, if you do have any questions for Steve, then um, please ask them now. Uh, yeah, was it? Were there any more slides you had on the IoT stuff? Um, let's see. Not specifically. That was kind of the um, the the punchline, if you will, of the uh, IoT slide. One of the other um, <clears throat> quickies that I'll, I'll throw off, we didn't spend much time talking about um, social identity, but I think everybody's probably familiar with um, uh, being able to log on using Facebook or log on using LinkedIn. Um, nearly every new site, that, website that you go to register on uh, will invite you to use one of those or to simply um, create a new identity with your, with your email address and a new password. Um, I think that some of those same um, uses of social identities are going to migrate into um, access management and identification systems um, that we're familiar with. And this is kind of a, a day in a life scenario that explains you know, how that could work, um, starting with going to the gym in the morning and going to your office later and uh, perhaps getting a lunch reservation using your Facebook identity. And uh, of course, cars um, are now becoming um, uh, part of the uh, Internet of Things and there's an authentication mechanism that you need for your car to know who you are and then finally um, homes which have been um, online for a number of years now and as with many of these you can you know create an identity on your August lock or, or uh, any of the others logging in with another identity from another identity provider. So um, it's very clearly a part of the strategy of all of the major social networks. Apart from all of the stuff you see on the surface, part of their strategy is to become a dominant uh, identity provider for lots of different uses. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think there's a good chance that it could extend into the physical world in the same way that it's um, been spreading through the, uh, the web world. Yeah, I mean, it's just very, very interesting to think about this kind of concept of managing, and we need to think more about this, I think, managing identity online, offline, like you said, getting not just getting into buildings, but getting into cars and 
and and accessing things online, accessing different services. Um, in really fascinating to see how these are going to merge together. Is is there anyone trying to create a standard for, you know, having one identity that you can manage across all of these different things? Yeah, there is. Um, uh, uh, I know. I know for a fact that Google's very involved in that. Um, uh, they've released some products already. Uh, if you go and look, for example, at uh, an early application of that that um, uh, is on their website for using your Android phone to authenticate to your laptop, um, that's a specific case in point. But it's certainly easy to imagine that once you have that framework in place, you can use that same authentication method for virtually anything. And clearly, the IoT is is driving many people in that position. Uh, Apple as well, and and uh, Facebook, which has just announced some new IoT um, analytics. Uh, all of them are looking at being the authentication standard. I mean, if you look at the home of the future, and there could be you know 20, 50, 100 IoT devices that um, once people get security sorted out, need authentication. Everybody's vying to be that authenticator and the identity provider for that relationship. Yeah, yeah, all right. Question come in here. Uh, do any of your customers require cellular to communicate with the cloud? And if so, do you, do you have a rough idea of what percent? Um, so uh, historical note, we actually started off, our first products were exclusively cellular. And that was one of the reasons that we succeeded in the early era, not because of the cloud, but because the connectivity was built in and people found that very compelling. These days, I would say it's um, below 5% of new sales, um, although we're seeing a gain in popularity as a redundancy link, even if it's not used as the, the, the primary uh, communications technique. So today, uh, we resell an outboard device uh, from Verizon here in the U.S. that allows people to either use that in a location where there is no connectivity or to use it as a backup uh, in case their, I, their primary ISP goes down. So I think people are becoming, now that these, these systems are being put in more uh, mission-critical locations, people are being more serious about communications redundancy. Yeah. Very interesting stuff, and I'm, I could definitely uh, go on and on, but unfortunately, we're coming towards the end now. Uh, did you have any final thoughts on, or just summarize what we've talked about? Um, one last comment, just on uh, mobile credentials. I think you know the most significant thing about that movement. It's very important for ease of use and cost, but the most significant thing is that um, we're putting interactive applications in the hands of the people we're protecting or, or the hands of the people who occupy our buildings. And I think that one capability set, we're really just seeing the tip of the iceberg and that uh, once we have those applications in people's hands, their ability to interact with the rest of what I call the security enterprise, which is everybody including manufacturers, integrators, uh, local security administrators, the ability for building tenants to interact with those people is, I think, going to change the way we do security and the, the types of things that we can do uh, in some fairly dramatic ways. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I just wanted to show a couple of slides before we finish. Um, first one, I mean, this is from some brand new research that we just published. 
um, and we looked at access control um, globally. We think that it's it's roughly around six point uh, one billion in in total in terms of product. Um, but we're also seeing um, some really strong growth at the moment, um, and we think that, that there's uh, a lot of opportunity um, uh, in this area. Um, and um, it's certainly as strong as video, and there seems to be less competition coming from places like China in terms of product and systems business. So, uh, yeah, I think some some really exciting time to be involved in access control at the moment. Uh, and yeah, if you want to um, find out any more about that, you can um, you can uh, go on our website and uh, you can see the uh, the report. It's up there now, um, and you can view view some stuff about it there. Steve, if they want um, some more information on what you've talked about, is there somewhere they can go to um, to to have a look? Yeah. Um... Uh, brivo.com b-r-i-v-o.com or um, <clears throat> I'm not sure if my uh, email address has been distributed but that would be another way uh, if you want to put that out there sure we will do that and um, we are taking uh, well we'll be back next month with a brand new series of uh, for 2016 and the first one is we're going to be looking at um, smart buildings and the, the, the architect's perspective on that so we're talking to a guy who's done a lot of work with Reba, um, which is the institute here for, for architects in the UK, um, about how develop how we can perhaps change the way that we build and construct buildings to to really think about how we can make them more intelligent and also design them more for 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 for, for people to really optimize their their um, experience of buildings. So that's going to be on Wednesday, the twentieth of January, and. Um, uh, yeah, until then, um, have a great Christmas. And obviously, Thank Steve, um, thanks very much. Really appreciate your input today. My pleasure. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Thank